empires of the future. That's right. Uh, How shall we live? All right, that's really... And you use a nice copy of the that's Hobbit right. as your your. I wanted thing. my microphone to be up like yours is, yes. so I didn't have to lean over. You know. Yes. That's wonderful. All right. And we are on top of things today. So this is our article. This is it. We we both have a copy of it's it. Mine's a little more tattered than yours since it's been in my my bag for a few weeks or a week. Right. So, Generational talk. Yeah, I like talking about generations. Yeah, you know, um, this is a useful article. Um, so it's called The Bunk of Generational Talk um, by Bobby Duffy. This was, um, what, October 22nd, uh, the weekend section review from uh, the Wall Street Journal. So that's last week for us. Um, and uh, so his main point is that uh, we get generational talk, meaning talk about uh, baby boomers and the silent generation and Generation X and millennials and now Generation Z. Generation uh, we, Z. We, we, we speak wrongly about them, which we certainly do. Uh, still useful categories. So mm-hmm. today's going to be a lot of fun because we get to bounce around all over the place. Right. <laughs> I mean, generational talk is difficult because by definition it's generalizing a right. group of people. Right. Um, he kind of, I'll, I'll be honest, the article was okay, was good. He never really defines generations. He just kind of jumped, jumped right into it. It is an adapted from a book, so sure. maybe he defines it. But generation is a hard word, I think, because a lot there's a lot of misunderstandings mm-hmm. about generations. Um, and they are, by definition, a generalization <laughs> of a generation. <laughs> and so, therefore, you have to kind of state some generalizations that aren't always true about every person in a generation. Right. Which he kind of gets at in some of his criticism as some of the generational talk. Because you know, some of the things about millennials, for example. They are true in a general stated sense, but there are definitely, you know, things about the millennial generation that are always exactly like it's being generalized. Uh, let's just start here. Yeah. This is fun. Uh, you're a millennial. Yes, I'm, a, I'm, a, yeah, I'm an older millennial. Right, and, yeah. and I'm a Generation X just barely. Yeah, younger uh, Generation right. X. So yeah. I'm 41 right now. You're the right overlooked now. generation, as right. we call y'all. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, so to what degree do you think you represent... The millennial generation. Well, I'll uh, state this because it was actually stated. Well, I'll say this. It's it's not necessarily me, but my wife. But then again, it's our home. So therefore, I'm a part of this. That's right. A part of this as well. But it, it says, I'm just going to read this, uh, that uh, uh, millennials are, uh, are narcissists accused of, of, what does it say here? Accused of killing institutions ranging from marriage to the napkin industry. I didn't even know what they meant by that. I knew exactly what <laughs> In our home, people will come into our house and they'll go, can I have a napkin? And they're expecting a, what do you think of, like a tissue, like a, like a, like a disposable oh, yeah, a napkin. A paper towel. A or paper towel. Of exactly. which there are a couple hundred in my house. You would have a middle in your, middle of your table. You would have a stack of them, right? You don't you have paper towels at your house. Uh, we have them, but they're not out. So we put them okay. in the pantry. Okay. So we have towels for cleaning, uh-huh. right? That are then washed, uh-huh. and then we have like uh, fabric napkins that are kept in this like metal container okay. that are washed. Right. So like what you use for like holidays, yeah. like Thanksgiving, these kind of we use constantly, so we don't <laughs> waste sure. paper <laughs> and fill our uh, our landfills full of napkins. Okay. <laughs> so I, well, you know what? That's, that's fine. So I did think it's funny that this writer put napkin industry, and I'm like. Yeah, that would be me. Right. Okay, so before I answer then, let me read we this also, whole we also, nice summary. We also owned a Prius for a long oh, period of time. But you don't right now, so you're out of we that. We bought a van, 
Uh, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> okay. We fit. Okay. The, we fit the. We fit the millennial. Team. Yeah, you think of of a few more because I'm. I honestly <laughs> having obviously having known you, I don't. It's not like I think of you and then I just go, ah, yes, Matt, what a millennial. Yeah. Um. So okay, you think of more, uh, but here's his summary. Uh, this is uh, the first few lines of this story. Uh, quote, everyone knows the drill by now when it comes to classifying Americans by generations. Baby boomers born between 1945 and 1964 are portrayed as a selfish generation who have ruined everything for the young. <laughs> Millennials born 1981 to 1996 are narcissists accused of killing institutions ranging from marriage to the napkin industry. Uh, Gen Z, the current youngest generation of adults born since 1996, are called snowflakes, a coddled cohort scared of adulting. Uh, If Generation X, born 1965 to 1980, usually escapes the opprobrium, it's only because it's the overlooked middle child among generational groups. I like how they include them last, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Uh, as UK journalist Jonathan Walker tweeted, they are so irrelevant that people can't even be bothered to hate them. Uh, uh, Dennis Miller, the comedian, calls, mm-hmm. talks about Generation X as the, the generation that was always late to the party. Yeah. It's like, oh, wait, we did, you already went to the moon? Oh, yeah, we did that in the generation before y'all. Uh-huh. Uh, y'all, y'all did all these great things before them. So they, they are the people who arrived at the party when all the fun stuff had already mm-hmm. happened. And they already started like closing down the, down the party. Then that's when Generation X shows up. Right. right. They're always late. They're overlooked. Yep. They're also like, um, you know, they're the generation that now has become quite interesting now because of Stranger Things, and that's Generation Generation X, right? The 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 the, the they're playing and they're playing Dungeons and Dragons, right? Their parents are all working. They're right. outside the home. Right. Uh, they're basically free to do whatever they want on their bikes, yep. right? That. That was Generation X. Like we kind of was a kind of uh, as I we had a, 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 an elder in our church, Sean Melvin, who is a Generation Xer, and he talked about how much he loved Stranger Things because it's like that was my childhood. Sure, yeah. and there are definitely movies of the '80s that uh, that are throwbacks, and you, I, I could say, you might only understand if you are Generation X. Uh, yeah. Movies like The Goonies, yes, of which I have had millennials and yes. Gen Z tell me they, like, where, where they the find parents? The Goonies completely useless. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, and and one of the things about uh, Generation X that I do identify with is this. Um, I, I can't even explain how you pick these things up, but I can remember as a child, and I mean, who knows? I don't know. Growing up with Ronald Reagan as president, right? Um, but this sense that there had been overreach in past generations, whether it was the AIDS crisis, this is your brain on drugs. I mean, mine is the generation that watched Saturday night, uh, Saturday morning cartoons, and saw the frying pan with the two eggs. This is your brain. Oh, this yeah. is your brain on drugs. Drug, Any right. questions? And right. just sat there and went. Whoa, that is so scary. <laughs> and and believed it. And and when yeah, what's what's wrong with all these people doing drugs and you know and and, and all these other things out there that there were so many by this time uh, crises yeah. that were being approached and trying to be handled that somehow we picked up hey, some things have gone really wrong and, and we just can't be doing everything that anybody might say to do and try. Mm. And that in a lot of ways uh, defines uh, Generation X, which came by the time, uh, you know, by the time I'm a teenager, I can remember hearing, oh, Generation X, just such, they're, they're such rebels. They, they don't yeah. want to go along with the status quo. Right. And Slackers was the term used for Generation X. Sure. Yeah, slackers. and But I think it's, again, they were a generation that, it, it, one of the things that I would say is that
was a generation that did see the man walk on the moon, right? right. Uh, the um, kind of the the America as the world power that it is, right? Was their generation. Generation X came in at an age in American history where America was struggling. You had the the oil embargo. You had uh, a lot of financial issues that happened during. You have the Iran uh, hostage thing that happened during, um, you know, during uh, Carter's administration, where children that were Generation Xers were watching TV as America was humiliated by a third world power. You know, like this is kind of in Vietnam War. Right. was another thing that happened right. that they were children and watching American soldiers coming home dying, not coming home as heroes, right? right? So it was very much a pessimistic generation. Uh, I even didn't even mention Watergate, right? Where right. the presidency of the United States right. was very much, you know, wow, there, this isn't, we were, the American government isn't as optimistic and there's not they're not necessarily the heroes these guys could be the villains right so a dramatic decline Very in institutional so. trust marks exactly. generation x and that's right. that's certainly true and I, I think it's really important what you're pointing out that um it is an attitude or a perspective uh that we are looking for when we define generations but given one we are Americans who consider mm-hmm. ourselves individualistic, ready to make changes based upon how we assess our circumstances. And then two, how dramatic circumstances have changed, especially if you go back even one more generation than what we have talked about here, the silent generation mm-hmm. yeah. who lived through the Great Depression. Right. Who many of you ha- have relatives that you know uh, hoarded many things because they lived through such hard times that right. they knew anything that's worth anything at all, anything right. of, of, of any sort of value, I want to hold on to that. Because you never know, never know when you might need it right. and how stark that difference is to later generations and how still there are people of all of these different generations alive today, even as like it talks about that uh, Generation Z, Gen Z is coming of age. Uh, we still have people of the silent generation living who are witnessing uh, surprising things to them. Mm. Um, so dramatic change. I mean, look, you, you, you cannot claim, and, and I don't think he even gets to the point of claiming that um, events that happen in in the life of a whole country don't affect that country. Uh, September 11th affected everyone who lived through it. Yep. You cannot go through it without taking account of it and then adjusting the way you think about certain yeah. things because of it. Right. And we have had many of those types of events. Um, now, all that to say, it is difficult then to assess exactly what is the attitude of a generation and what is it that we're parsing and, and discriminating and trying to determine. But it is a phenomenon. It's mm-hmm. out there. Um, and so it's a lot of fun. At, at the end of the day, part of what's what's uh, interesting about this is fun to talk about. Right. We all are a part. I mean, these circumstances are all bigger than all of us. None of us knows exactly what to do about everything, nor do we have all the power to do right. it. Uh, it's like when you're a kid, you think, oh, if I were president, I'd do X, Y, and Z. And very few of us become president. And then when you become president, you realize, wow, there's so much less I can do about a lot yes. of this. And then such certain things that I can do. And so there you are. I think uh, he gets into this at the end of the article, which I thought was really helpful. And I think important to it's, you know something to state is that really there's like one major institution that really is obsessed with generational... Journalizing and finding stereotypes of generations. It's businesses yes. who have to market yes. to right. certain generations, right. right? Right. The other group, maybe at the same level, but I think similarly, talk a lot about generations is the church. Sure. Uh, because sure. why? We do missions, right? And right. we want to be effective at ministering, entering the gospel to certain generations that are right. impacted 
by certain events and that change them. And as we have seen, the it seems like the growing trend of the nuns or those who don't hold a certain religion is growing as each new generation is right. presented, right? So it seems like those are two groups that spend a lot of time discussing what 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 are some things about this generation and yeah. what can we utilize about them so that we can effectively reach them or right. as the businesses effectively sell to them, right? Right, and, and you can't mm. uh, knock that. One of the stranger things is Jesus even does a little bit of generational talk. Sure. You know, there's a time where he's dealing uh, with some Pharisees and they're complaining and he says, what am I to do with you? Mm-hmm. What am I to do with this generation, you know? You say... We'll play a sad song, play a dirge, and, and you won't we- weep or wail, but you say play a happy song, and you won't dance. I don't know. There's nothing I can do with you. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and so that, it's funny that that generational talk, and, and it's referenced in this uh, article as well, that even before Jesus, Socrates yes. uh, bemoaned and said, oh, yes. the, my, the youth have no uh, mor- morals and manners anymore. Well, look. I'm, I'm reminded of a C.S. Lewis essay where he talks about, you know, look, if you wanted middle-aged moralizing, that's what you're going to get when you invite a middle-aged moralist. Yes. Uh, in middle age, you realize, it's, it's a necessary fact of life that you realize why morality matters to the body politic, to the whole of your country or community and all of this. When you're young, you're, uh, you are thrown about by desires and impulses, and your main uh, process is, how can I keep out of the watchful eye of the right. authorities in my right. life? That right. is... That is the job of the right. young, and, and at, at least in terms of what we tend to operate at. You really do it. You, you, you strive for the freedom and the openness where the older you get, you want more structure and order. Because with structure and order, there's more understanding. You understand how to work within the parameters, and yeah. you, you can be effective at whatever your responsibility or uh, what uh, what you're trying to accomplish. Or younger, you're not thinking that. You just want freedom. You don't want boundaries. Right, right. And you want to roam freely. Which he gets to in this article that younger generations do are easier with change. Right. Right? And it says something about the, the criticism that uh, you know, Generation Z or even millennials change jobs more often. They're less loyal. Right. right. Uh, they're easier. They're, they're they're open to change. They want more openness. They want more freedom. But the older they get, when they have children and mortgages and other responsibilities, they want more structure and they want more uh, certainty and more things that they're more reliable. Right. Right. I mean, as so a that makes sense. As someone who literally just yesterday heard a story from uh, a young lady who got in her first car wreck, oh. you don't understand the value of uh, turn signals and turn lanes and and lines in the middle of the road until you experience when it all goes wrong. Right. Uh, and and that, then all of a sudden, many things that you heard in driver's ed make so much more sense. Mm. Uh, but that's, that's just one of those ways of life. Um, so he, he compliments that first line by saying, uh, quote, most of this is just good fun, of course, uh, all this stereotyping. But such stereotypes, myths, and contrived conflicts can be genuinely destructive when they stand in the way of a real understanding of generational differences which shape our attitudes and behaviors on many key issues, religion, sexual activity, smoking, drinking alcohol, connection to political parties and trust in other people. Hmm. Yeah, and I even I think what somewhat you know people talk about you know boomer boomers as kind of a negative uh, negative uh, description to talk about baby boomers. Oh, you're just being a boomer, boomer, boomer. You know, one thing that I think younger generations forget is that, especially with an obsession with 
certain political um, positions about equality. Um, you know, it was the baby boomer generation that were a part of the Civil Rights Act. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, uh, it was um, it was baby boomers who walked the streets with Martin Luther King, right? Um, and so that was a generation that definitely were ones that were trying to, in this time of peace after the war, a time of how do we fix some of our issues as a country? How do we fix our, right. our race-related issues in our country? Right. How do we fix some of the voting issues in our country? How do we fix even like, you know, Nixon gets kind of forgotten by, he was the one that passed the Clean Air, Clean Water Act, right? In the 70s, how can we be more environmentally? Yeah. So this was the baby boomer generation that pushed a lot of this, not uh, millennials. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think it's, I mean, the first president that was a baby boomer was Clinton. You know, and right. he was a right. pretty, I mean, like the, uh, when it comes to presidency, he was different than, say, sure. uh, Kennedy or even different than, than Johnson. These guys that were silent generation, uh, you know, born. Even Kennedy was born before the war. He fought right. in the war, right. you know. And so I think there's things to remember that this generation accomplished a lot of great things. A lot of things that are somewhat maybe kind of looked down upon by right. this younger generation as all y'all, y'all have created all these problems. Right. They also were a part of a lot of solutions that that the younger generation are standing on their accomplishment. I like to always say to people that we all stand on the shoulders of giants, right? right. We sure. never come into the world with like a clean slate that we're building with not that building complete without any of the, the, the prior work of other, other great leaders and right. other great heroes. So um, I think that, that for, I think that sometimes remembering that, like looking back to history, younger generation can find more commonality with baby boomers on a lot of issues. Right. And it seems strange to me that um, this idea of progress, that, that history is the unfolding of progress, uh, formulated by Hegel, by right. a philosopher named Hegel, long, right. many, many years the ago, Geist, right? as, yeah. uh, seems to be sinking deeper and deeper into the hearts of so many, uh, though I, I don't believe that is a helpful perspective in a lot of ways, um, it seems to have seeped so deep into the hearts of people. I remember when the OK Boomer sort yeah. of phrase popped up, it was sort of a declaration. By the way, boomers, you you might think you're on board with a lot of the uh, happening attitudes, but you're the old generation now. Right. Your time has passed. Right. So yeah, back right. off. Right. And it is a shame when you write off an entire generation. It is uh, foolish. And, and, and I can sense that in part the goal of Bobby Duffy's article here is to say, hey, let's stop that. Right. Let's stop alienating each other. Right. Uh, if if you use generational talk as a way of silencing and alienating another generation, well, that's that's exactly the wrong sense. Uh, right. If if it is useful for anything, it should be used to connect and understand with previous generations or with younger generations, not to decide that they are of no account, right. uh, they are foreign to you and alien to you, and that you can n- learn nothing from them. And so for that, I am appreciative of it, because I believe that very much. I, I mm-hmm. think that <clears throat> we all have many layers to our identity, and and all we can do uh, is take the wonderful opportunities that we have to have deep conversations with each other and sort of unfold what what is it that's behind the things that we're about. Right. Um, I can tell you that one difference I noted early on, having worked with millennials pretty much from uh, from the time I was 20 and then moving on to work more with uh, Generation Z in the last, uh, I guess, 10 years, um, since I did not grow up 
with a lot of interactive technology. Since I grew up in uh, a small town. Which I visited. <clears throat> which you did this just this past, past weekend. weekend. You drove Very through. Very nice. Um, like Big Boy Grocery Store, which I Oh, Big John in El Dorado is a great place, yeah. Big John, that's right. Uh, but since I didn't grow up, for instance, I didn't get a PC until I was probably uh, 18, 19, 20. Oh, wow, yeah. um, That marks you in a certain kind of way. Correct. Uh, I had come of age before that happened, and, and those are the sort of things. You can then understand and process what, what has happened to you, and even think back. Thankfully, I can remember thinking back to the first time I was in a chat room with someone who was from Korea, and I had instant... Um, written communication that, that just affects the way you view the world mm-hmm. um, and so you can understand these things they, these can be sorted through but again in what service because if you are uh, so pessimistic and so jaded and cynical that you want to use generational talk to dismiss people who are of a certain generation or who are not like you well that uh, that's a very poor way to use this sort of research um, mm-hmm. it is better used to understand how people have come to the positions that they have and what's useful and helpful. In yeah, and especially since you know, it, within generational talk, each generation, like, in a sense, are impacted in these kind of with these invisible forces. Number one, you've got world events. You have events that happen within their generation that do affect them and mold them. But you also have other other factors, like uh, Generation Z is known as like the most di- one of the most diverse generations in American history. Why? Because number one, like America is becoming more diverse. Conversations about diversity are very much a part of our, our constant conversations about right. immigration and other things. Um, and also as, you know, as America has changed over, over, over even the last few decades of like in the town that I grew up in, went to high school in Carville, there's far more Indians that live there because of economic reasons. FedEx put a world headquarters and all their IT workers who are mostly from India now right. live in, the, in this community, right? right? So a generation like me who grew up in this same town that right. was different than it is now. So right. kids that are growing up now are now going to high, middle school and, and, and elementary school and high school with far more diversity that sure. they're becoming accustomed to. Sure. Again, they didn't wake, they didn't get born and say, I'm going to be more diverse sure. in my thinking. No, no, the... Yeah. The, the, what's happened, these invisible forces and variables surrounding their upbringing has affected them and, and affects the way they think and the, yep. what, what they, what the, how they view certain things. So there's certain advantages that certain generations have in the way that they think because of how they've been impacted. Well, then there's other generations that have different imp- situations that have impacted them that think different ways. And so working together, you're going to have a really good synergism. But if you kind of say, well, you think wrong or you think wrong, right. then there's no way to to grow together, right? And almost solve problems together. And I even think of one of my issues with generational discussion is the church, because I think a lot of times you have baby boomer churches and then you have millennial churches, right? Mm -hmm. These kind of like, well, we don't want to worship together because they like different music and we like different music and we like different worship styles and we like different worship styles. We want more traditions, traditional ways of things. You want less traditional ways of things. Even to the architecture of the church. We want to worship in a non-church building. We want to worship in a church building. Mm-hmm. We want to have pews. We want to have chairs. Like all these different, these are all yep. generational understandings. Yep. Yep. But instead of like sitting at the table and saying, what are the advantages? Why do you think chairs or these things are important? And they present all their reasonings. You're, mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Well, why do you think this way? Well, this is why we think about this. Because we feel like there's a sense of of, of, of understanding the, the, the importance of 
of worship and a sense of understanding the, the holiness of God mm-hmm. and how we do worship and how we dress and all these different factors. Oh, I didn't know that. That does make a lot of sense. Right. So then you're starting to work together and understand that better and talk, understand the reasonings and whys. And you definitely can come to a very, a very much more middle ground or a way that works more for each group. And so there's worship together. But yet, no one ever does that. They just have stereotypes and never moves towards any type of uh, agreement or working together or any synergism or, or any of that, which is unfortunate because the world could look at the church and see that intergenerational worship and go, how does that work? Right. And, why, and you can just point to Titus chapter 2 or, or whatever and say, this is the gospel at work. Yep. Um, so I, I think generational discussions are they're, they're interesting, but a lot of times it doesn't lead to any kind of major change or major like understanding for people to come together and learn from one another. And, and it should. And it you, should. You hope that it, it can. Yeah. And, and so this is probably the, the point that we are in the, the greatest agreement with the author here because he says, quote, across a range of issues, manufacturing fake generational battles denies us the benefits of intergenerational connection and solidarity. Yeah. And we need that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting because in the course of uh, the podcast, I really uh, think that something that we are both for, that we, in doing this, we have realized is a project that is needed uh, in this country as a whole is uh, pluralism is a need. Mm -hmm. I can, uh, we believe Christianity is true, right, and helpful to everyone, and we pray that anyone who hears this would come to know Christ. Right. You don't have to do that, but we are thankful to be in a place where we can say that freely. Right. But we want also the kind of country where there are a variety of views that are offered. Mm-hmm. They are offered boldly mm-hmm. and freely. Mm-hmm. And that we can have respect for people who disagree, right. but not shut each other down right. just because we disagree. That is the old meaning of tolerance. Right. Tolerance used to mean, I respect you, even though we disagree. Right. Your voice can be heard. Right. The new meaning of tolerance is everybody's right. And that's right. just not true. That's, not, not, that's true. not even possible. Right. Um, and so it's interesting to arrive at that given uh, what he's after here in this, uh, in this essay, in this book, uh, ultimately. Um, and so we take a turn because his background is in sociology. And uh, he brings up uh, August Comte, of which I had very little exposure, and I'd read up on him some. So the next quote says this, uh, quote, for the 19th century French sociologist August Comte, the generation was a key factor in uh, the basic speed of human development. We should not hide the fact that our social progress rests essentially upon death, which is to say that the successive steps of humanity necessarily require a continuous renovation from one generation to the next, Comte wrote. Generations differ from one another, and that's a good thing since it prevents prevents society turning into a stagnant pond. Mm. Yeah, um, well, I never really thought about generations in this this way, but you do, like, definitely... Even within this 20th century to 21st century of, of generations, you know, we talked about the silent generation and baby boomers and Generation X and millennials and Generation Z, you do see this human development, right? Mm-hmm. From just even from a technology standpoint, you mentioned right. getting your first PC at 20. Um, and then how fast, you know, my generation, uh, we, again, I was, I was, my first year in college was, my, was when F- Facebook was introduced. Yeah. 
Uh, so, but yet my children's generation, they don't know a time without the iPhone. Mm-hmm. They don't know a time without the internet, you know? And so there is a sense of that in human development. Generation Z is also coined as the, uh, the, 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 the internet generation or the connectivity generation. Mm-hmm. They've always been connected to mm-hmm. the internet. To them, internet is like air. You know, to not be connected uh, digitally is like not being able to breathe. We don't think of it that way, right? Because we sure. remember a time when we didn't have the sure. internet, right? I remember a time before I had AOL or Instant Messenger or all these different other matters. And, and so I remember a time of that. And I, and I saw the development from nothing to something. Right. Generation Z is in a generation that doesn't know any different than being connected online to always have social media we remember a time before social media yeah. if you wanted to go talk to your friend you got on your bike and went over to his house and said you want to play football outside right we didn't go on we didnn't text them or right. that time of, and so you definitely see this human development this progress socially um and you see this kind of building off one another that generations uh show sure very interesting yeah, it is. And so... Uh, it's good in, that we have these kind of developments. It would be a stagnant pond. Well, and, and, and in that sense, you know, technology has progressed. Mm-hmm. And that would be the area where um, uh, sooner or later, I'm sure we're going to run into where we, we actually just have a straight podcast where we talk about uh, what is basic conservatism, mm-hmm. what is sure. the basis of progressivism. But uh, one thing just to, to summarize right now, technology has progressed. Mm-hmm. Now... Is this technology, you could say something like the iPhone and all the things that an iPhone could do for you, are all of those things that it can do for you and with you uh, progress in terms right. of what they're doing for humanity? And, and I think that we can immediately see that the, there's a struggle here to go, well, some of them maybe, uh, certainly some of them know, um, and we have lost track of what is particularly good for us overall, right. and You're that's arguing, one of the greatest yeah. dangers. You're thinking, like, has the iPhone changed in the way that we... Are we thinking at a higher level right. than we did before? Like, probably not. Probably not. Yeah, and and we just have more access to information. Right, certain kinds of information. As like, I remember, I think uh, Sean Wright or, uh, said this, uh, professor at, at, at Southern, uh, he said that Jonathan Edwards probably had the connection to content about as much as what, like a one issue of the Wall Street Journal. Sure. Where we have all of this connection to information and content, yet we write less and produce less right. work than he did, right? So just because you have access to a lot of information doesn't mean you're going to think right. at any higher level. Right. Because as we've, I mean, as we've maybe talked about before and we continue to talk about, that the, the literature of, of Tolkien is brilliant and is amazing. Is anyone writing any literature at a higher level than him? I doubt it, right? Right. Um, that may be a bit subjective, but the iPhone hasn't necessarily made literature any better or music any better or right. any of these other things. Right. That's what you're, you're referring so to. So, yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. That's, uh, that's where uh, this discussion would go because all I want to point out right now is that we all have a sense that certain things that we uh, have access to are helpful to us. It is it is handy to have a Maps app mm-hmm. on your phone so that when you're driving somewhere. I mean, I was thinking just a couple days ago, like when I was a pizza delivery boy, uh, when I was, you know, 18, 19, 20, I would just drive around my hometown sometimes because I would not remember exactly how to get somewhere. And you just have to look for the street. Yeah. Meanwhile, now, if I were a pizza delivery guy today, 
Literally get in, put the numbers in, it takes you straight there. Right. And that's just a simple little difference. Technology helps in some ways, but um, our connectedness may not be particularly helping us, especially in terms of uh, our growth, our potential, uh, in terms of our mental health. Uh, There's a whole bunch of discussions about this. And so to tie this back in, uh, Comte had deeper ideas, though, about uh, what what the project of humanity was. Now, Comte is a a 1700s thinker who uh, was an atheist and believed that the ritual was the deepest expression of certain tendencies in human nature. So he's a humanist, meaning humans are the highest thing and the only thing that matters. If there's no God, then humans are the highest thing. Mm -hmm. And ritual, he said, well, that must be uh, symbolic or uh, central to uh, certain mystical human longings. Now, uh, I was reading uh, about Comte today. He appears, uh, he has the... uh, the honor of appearing in G.K. Chesterton's Heretics. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ross Dowd, incidentally, recently wrote a book about heretics. Look, it's straight talk to call somebody a heretic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Especially Com- back then. Right. <laughs> Different now, but yeah. Uh, and, and so Chesterton called Comte a heretic. I'm calling Comte a heretic because, uh, no, people in ancient times as well as now approach um, holy things because there is a substance there. Right. I mean, that is what we believe. Right. It's an um, object by which they respond to it. Right. Right. You know, it's not that um, it's not that if you stand under a waterfall that your thoughts about beauty are what you're responding to. The thing itself, right. it, it, you are encountering something outside of yourself that is more powerful than you in a certain kind of way. Right. And your response is appropriate. Right. You feel small. Right. You feel overpowered, but also you feel drawn to it because it is beautiful. And, and so there's a whole series of... Um, of thoughts and discussions that we could have here, mm. but all this to say, I mean, frankly, just I think Comte was wrong, and uh, Bobby Duffy here uh, appeals to Comte as, as seems to be uh, one of his main heroes, and so Comte was wrong in that ritual does not signify sort of a uh, a, a creative invention of humanity. Uh, ritual is a response to the fact that the cosmos is enormous, right. that there is a God behind the cosmos, right. And when we believe we can have an actual connection to that God, that is shocking. Right. And that is striking. Right. As I read today in a hermeneutics book, rituals or traditions are a community uh, that exegetes something. Mm-hmm. So when a community exegetes a God, mm-hmm. they respond with rituals and traditions by which to worship and to act in the presence of yep. a said God, right? And so uh, and you can... You know, you can think of other traditions, families, exegete Christmas or other sure. holidays as saying, this is going to be important to us, and this is what we're going to do together every yep. year because of how important this is, right? And so, and onward and onward and onward. And so I think, um, um, anyways, I thought that, yeah. Well, and, and it's good that, that, that you landed there because this actually, the discussion of Comte appears in... Uh, Chesterton's discussion in Heretics of Christmas. Ah, there you uh, go. <laughs> because of all of the ritual that surrounds Christmas, of the right. sense that we have at Christmas time, of how it's one of the few um, sort of magical times we have left in our disenchanted world. Um, but he 
yeah. J.R.R. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, and others were about re-enchanting mm. our world. Because the enchantment is there, we've just closed our mind and our eyes to it. Um, here's a, I really do want to make this concrete right now, so I'll jump to this uh, quote here that's at the bottom of our rundown. Uh, a feeling touching the nature of things. This is from Heretics, by the way. Why don't you ask your question again real quick? Um, I remember how it was like kind of a stream of thought. Um, do, do you think with kind of the younger, especially Generation Z, as you've experienced, uh, very um, tend to be very, very pessimistic. They, mm-hmm. they, they kind of see the problems of their age as a, as, as a product of the failures of the baby boomer generation, mm-hmm. hence the OK Boomer. Do you think that they'll always be there? Do you see them continuing to be kind of disillusioned, disenchanted by the world and uh, constantly, at, on a, in a sense, enraged about the problems of the world? Um, or do you see that as they get older, as they maybe they have their first child, maybe when they, that they, there's a sense of uh, being, maybe looking at the world and seeing the beauty of it and being more optimistic or are they kind of doomed to this type of thinking? Right. My, my hope is, and, and I feel like uh, G.K. Chesterton is sort of the apostle of this sort of hope. Um, my hope is that we are, are as Christians in the process of creating uh, art, creating good, good art. That, that it, look, if the glory of God is being revealed behind every leaf, if every morning is a, symptom, or is a, is a statement from God that there's hope still, that, mm. that, that there are wonderful things behind every uh, door that you are opening, well then... Uh, here's how Chesterton can help us, because what he says about art is like, look, if any kind of art is worth making, then we ought to make it. And if you make bad art, well, that's fine. Bad art is worth making, and good art is worth making, mm-hmm. but just make it. Mm-hmm. If, if you can have any effort to get outside of yourself and to appraise and appreciate any of the things that we've been given, that is the antidote to our yeah. just troubled age, uh, to our so pessimistic and so cynical age where... We have convinced ourselves in our despair that there is probably nothing better out there. Mm. Well, there is. Um, I very much believe that there is. And so to to get to know anyone, to make a friendship across a generational line, is to deny the entire uh, story that, well, boomers are just this or the silent generation is just that, or Generation X is just that, or Millennials are just that, or Generation Z is just that. Um, There is so much more out there that we can uh, engage toward than just what we've seen. It's just, I really do think we've lived through a challenging period, and I I hope and pray we are near the end of this sort of despair that you have seen that, well, uh, there's no way for anything to get better, you know, because, because there is. It's just that... Genuine difference is happening. Um, this is a very strange statement. Uh, he, he says, uh, probably towards the end of his article, he says, uh, today's cohort of young people isn't unusual. What's really changed is the more fractious political and media context. The internet and social media have given us the tools to create, uh, I'm sorry, the tools to communicate our differences at scale. Um, look, what, what the silent generation dealt with and who they are as a result of it is very different yeah. than uh, Generation Z and what they have dealt with and what they have become. Uh, there are real differences. It's not as simple as just, oh, well, that's Socrates. He, 2,500 years ago, he thought that young people didn't have any manners. Look, we are dealing, if you look at um, eras of history, it is different. Uh, it is a different project to live in a world where there is no such thing as moral truth. 
uh, if, if, if focus, if there is no moral truth, then killing anybody, just inconvenient for that person. Correct. Uh, there yeah. is moral truth. Right. We, you cannot operate that way, but we're, there is experimentation going on in that regard. And everything that you read in terms of what we're about to do, for instance, in the scientific world, a lot of the experiments of the early 1900s in terms of eugenics and, and trying to adapt the human genome, we're about to try some of that again. You can see everywhere. I mean, a lot of the ways you might hear it and read it about it in uh, articles are, well, the Chinese are going to do it, so what, what could we do but also try it ourselves? And it's right. just kind of like, well, that that's awful because mm-hmm. here in five or ten years I'm going to be reading a story about a guy with two heads that, well, it's just, you know... Had to do what we had to do. If the Chinese were doing it, what could we do? Uh, it's not a good excuse, yeah. but I see that on the horizon. And so in the midst of that, we have to argue for truth. We cannot afford to be um, confused about what genuine goodness is, about what is actually a good action. A good action requires a good motive. It requires a good method. You can't build the kingdom using the devil's tools, for right. instance. Right. And, and it requires a good outcome. Uh, the ends don't justify the means. Right. Uh, and beauty is beauty. Beauty is right. made by God. So uh, the, re- the transcendentals are real, and we are the people who have to be speaking of those things when we are probably going to see very bold proclamations of the opposite in our day. Absolutely. And, and you know, it'll, it's, it's really interesting that the, the generational trends, you know, as less, as more people, especially more millennials, get married later and have less children, you know, you're going to see uh, how is that going to impact generations into the future. You're going to have mm-hmm. probably smaller generations uh, going forward. Right. Um, you're going to ha- you're going to have a similar issue of children in a sense being raised by maybe one child per family mentality, right? right. Where you have a child that grows up in a world where the, without any siblings, yeah. whatever. Um, and will they be more isolated from other people physically, probably since COVID? Right. Right. Uh, this is not going to be the last time some virus happens. Yep. The way that people react to it will probably be, if not more, uh, obviously they'll be quicker in their response, but it may be even more intense going forward when it comes to how people interact with one or socially. So how's that going to affect the next generation um, going forward? It'll, it'll be interesting. What is the world going to look like? What mm-hmm. is, you know, now America's entering to this kind of new Cold War with China. Like, mm-hmm. how's that going to impact mm-hmm. generations going forward? Now we're into another generation of space race stuff, right? right? right, right. Now the U.S. and China are now racing for space exploration and superiority. How's that going to impact generations right. going forward? There's so many things on the horizon, and you bring up a great point that has nothing to do with technology or world events, but philosophically, mm-hmm. you know, there's less and less views on transcendent things, less and less understandings about um, the, 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 the eternal God, right? Mm-hmm. There was a sense like before, maybe before the Enlightenment, but majority of people, you know, not your intellectuals, but your farmers and your people who live in most of your towns, they did read the King James Bible. That was the book that most people learned how to read on, right? So they right. had an understanding of the transcendent. Right. Um, and that is just within the last few decades that it's less and less common mm-hmm. for generations to have that as a presupposition. How's that going to impact, right. right? You bring up some interesting yeah. points about, uh, uh, you know, how's that going to impact genetical research and all these other uh, factors. If China's doing it, we can't get too far behind. That kind of mentality. I mean, it is going to be a very 
could be a very scary world um, without the importance of the rootedness of the transcendental, transcendental thing. We could say all people have worth and value because they're created by the same God. Um, and so, so yeah, I, I think, um, and, and I think going back to what I was saying earlier, the kind of the benefit of intergenerational connection, um, if there's a, if there's a belief that I think if, if an, if a younger generation can remember there's wisdom to be learned by older generation, yeah. I think that is extremely important. Once a generation gets to a point where we don't need you because you're the, actually the reason for all the problems, that is a very dangerous place to be. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why, because we're, we're pastors, we deal with, we're not politicians, we deal with the church. Um, and the church is one people, regardless of age, regardless of generation, doesn't matter if you're part of the right. baby boomer or you're part of Generation Z. If you're a Christian, you're part of the same family, you're, you worship the same God, we all worship together. And I think it's really important right now, especially for Christians to, with what you just stated before about the concerns about the coming world, if the Christians don't realize who their who their family is, who their mm-hmm. brothers and sisters are, regardless of their age, right. um, that is a huge problem for the church going forward. Obviously, Christ is going to protect his church. The world, uh, Satan and his hordes, not gonna not gonna overcome the church. But I think for the purpose of health. Yep. And unity, this is an important conversation. I think for we've gotten distracted by like worship wars and things mm-hmm. like that about music, mm-hmm. making that a priority and, and that type of thing. When I think at the core, we've forgotten that the Ephesians 2 passage that we are one in Christ um, and that we should be loving each other, not loving ourselves or loving our generation, right. which ends up happening, instead right. of loving the other, right. which is not just an older to the younger issue. It's mm-hmm. also the younger to the old that... You do want to if if the old woman in your pew loves old yums, then you go. I think it's important that we do those once in a while. Yeah, because it encourages her. Yeah. Well, I think it's important to do songs that encourage me as well. I think yeah. that's the whole point of First Corinthians thirteen and other passages. And I think that's important for pastors and church leaders to talk about generations, but bring generations together to understand each other, to know each other, and to find out ways to love and effectively minister together. Yeah, I agree. I mean, um, he speaks to this. He says, quote, the gaps between young and old on emergent cultural issues today are no larger than gaps in the past. Indeed, in many cases, there were bigger gaps between baby boomers and their youth and their parents than we see between young and old today. For example, in 1990, over 60% of people born before World War II agreed that it was much better for everyone if the man was the achiever outside the home and the woman takes care of the home and family, while under 30% of baby boomers agreed. Uh, one funny thing about this is um, there, there is, as, as social work often happens, there's a lot of uh, research in this article uh, where people assess themselves and then their self-assessment. Uh, he lets it carry the day. For instance, uh, one of the most hilarious sections of this uh, article is when he says, oh, it's a stereotype. He cites Gene Twenge, who we Yes, I've read Gene Twenge. Yeah. And, and he says, you know, millennials are selfish and narcissistic and, and, and materialistic. Uh, he says, but, you know, we, we surveyed millennials, and when asked if they consider being rich very important, they said that they don't. As if that proves. Right. Nobody wants, listen, when somebody knocks on your door yes. and says... I'd like to ask you a few questions about yourself. Would you say that you're a narcissist? Absolutely. <laughs> you know a lot of people who would say, oh, yes, of course. Yes, of course. No, you don't right. know a lot of people. Right. And then similarly, any question can be loaded in such a way, and you, your perception is always there with you how, 
How should I answer this? How am I expected to answer this? And so that is one issue that I see. This is also, this issue here, uh, is it much better for everyone if the man is an achiever outside the home and the woman takes care of the home and family? Look, there are generations of children who had no one taking care of them. Right. And I believe, A, we're all agreed now that somebody ought to take care of them. Right. B, well, frankly, I'm a complementarian. I take the view of Scripture that... Men are primarily protectors and providers for their home, and women are primarily nurturers and guiders of children and, and of the home. Is there overlap? Yes, there is. Mm-hmm. Hence the word primarily. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if that's a popular position. It's one of the things we're going to have to come to grips with is, if it's true, I don't care if it's popular. Right. And... Right. We have lived a long time assessing what people want to hear and saying, well, I want to make sure I cater to what you want to hear. Right. I, I just don't have any interest in that right. anymore. Yeah, I always, I'm always kind of like shaking my head when people state stuff, and it seems like that wasn't wrong 20 years ago, but it's right now as a sense of situational ethics that happen often. And I think that there needs to, you know, discussion about even like, and I think this is what younger generations do, especially for older generations. They kind of just roll their eyes at them and it's like, oh yeah, you're an older generation. Therefore, you probably think this, this way, this way, this way. When you assuming that a, a white man from the South who is a baby man most likely is more racist than someone who's younger and sure. from the North. There's a, a, and by that you, you create, but you don't even, as it, what ends up happening is you don't understand the person's life. You don't even give them the opportunity to tell their story. Mm-hmm. You don't give them the opportunity to tell them, tell you all the places that they've lived and all the people that they've impact. You don't even think to, to assume that potentially they may have friends throughout their life that were from a different race. So I think, again, going back to this, this, this issue of not understanding the benefits of intergenerational connection is that there's so much wisdom to learn and gain. Are baby boomers or silent generation, are they perfect? No. Right. Have they made mistakes? Correct. Will current young generations make mistakes? Yes. Right. So the way to not make the same mistakes is most likely to talk to them right. and try to understand why they thought the way that they thought and why they acted the way that they acted and try to understand like and try to put yourself in their shoes mm-hmm. and then try to do better mm-hmm. but don't when you do better assume that you're better than them right right and, and i think right. that happens across the board and i think even as well older generation from a work perspective tend to look down at young generations because they prioritize things differently than older mm-hmm. generation you're talking about baby boomers and a lot of them working outside the home it seems like millennials are more traditional in some of the ways that they think yeah. they tend to spend put a lot more premium on family mm-hmm. and the family and we're and, and all being for men to not work so much yeah, outside sure. the home. Mm-hmm. So there is some things that are happening that are actually you could claim as more traditional right. than baby boomers are. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe the way for Generation Z and Millennials to continue that positive, I think, trajectory is to probably talk to baby boomers and say, what are some regrets you have in your life? Well, I think I worked too much and I didn't spend enough time with my family. Sure. I don't want to make that same mistake. What right. should I do better? Right. That is a definition of intergenerational connection yeah. and benefiting from one another. I agree. So I agree. it makes the, that generation older feel valued mm-hmm. by younger generations because they're utilizing their wisdom and their experience 
to better their lives and the lives of other people. Right. Before we uh, end this, I think one of the clearest ways I can state uh, kind of what I see as the truth of um, of aesthetics and, and the truth of, of what is happening with generations. So, for instance, this is, I'm, I'm going to use a very abstract idea to get to a, what I think is a very important and grounded concept. So, uh, we're in the kingdom of heaven, hopefully for all eternity, right? Uh, I very much believe, as the Bible talks about, that every kind of technology will be brought in, but also every kind of culture. Uh, and so, for instance, music in, in, in the kingdom, a very exciting idea. Yes. Um, By the way, on that point... There's a Led Zeppelin music, uh, album that was influenced by like Middle Eastern music. Sure, fantastic. Okay, that's See, an example. That's exactly the that sort is of thing. example of yeah. So yeah. so here's here's why I say this, because for a long time I thought of music in terms of, well, there's old music that sounds old, and then there's new music that sounds new, and the more you get into music, and, and probably the more you get into any kinds of arts the more you recognize that it has nothing to do with the time period it came from, as much as it has to do with what sorts of people were present, what sorts of instruments were present, what, uh, what, what sort of land was there, what did the people spend their days doing. So you could think about, for instance, the music of Bill Monroe, the founder of Bluegrass, or Hank Williams Sr. Um, it has nothing to do with the fact that Bill Monroe grew up in Kentucky, you know, in the, the 20s, uh, or the... Hank Williams Jr. grew up in the South in the mm-hmm. 30s, uh, as much as the, the, the shape of their life mm-hmm. and forever, mm-hmm. the music that is present in, in eternity will have its flavor because of those basic elements that shaped it. And we will all then be able to intermingle, but the basic elements are still present. So it's not about how old... It is about the elements that are present. And yes, God has a, a way then. I mean, get one, of, one of God's decisions is when to put certain people into certain places at certain yeah. times. And he's the master of those sorts of things. Um, but it really makes no difference. It's not as if, you know, um, it's not as if a, a Hank Williams Sr. born today uh, wouldn't be able to create music. It would just be different because his circumstances would be different. Yeah, um, and so it, it it enables you, I think, to then see that this very concrete, very grounded reality that we live in, um, you can sort through it and and look towards kind of the more eternal things that you can look towards um, directly from the very just ordinary things that we have every day. Uh, but again, you see what the Bible talks about that what you have been given is a gift, mm. and and in in the way you were raised, uh, stop looking across the room at somebody else and. I, Ask what God has given you, and then make out of your circumstances something beautiful. Mm. And that is that is what we ought to be doing. Mm. Do some good with your hands today, mm. whatever you have. Uh, and this is this is the job of saints. Speak the truth when it's not popular. Mm-hmm. This is this is and this is the only formula that we need to have to genuinely bring life every day to everyone around us. And um, and and hopefully, in, in in regard to this, rebuild relationships that have been torn apart. Yeah. I wanted to ask you real quickly, uh, if you could define your generation with a particular movie, what would that be? Would that be Goonies or Stand By Me or? Probably uh, Indiana Jones uh, and the, you know, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, So, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think. What about you? Yeah, I've been thinking about it like for half of our conversation, like what would be the I think Social Network is one of those movies that I think really do kind of define 
my kind of generation, especially mm-hmm. about the story of Facebook and and just the you know uh, that as that thing as a, as an entity, uh, you know about and I think that our generation millennials, you know. We, we our, our parents, yeah, they're kind of the helicopter parents, but there was a sense of optimism during the 90s. There was a sense of, hey, like the cold world is over. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do we what, what, what can we accomplish? Mm-hmm. What can we solve? Mm-hmm. What can we do there? Uh, not to get too deep into this, but millennials were the generation that had massive college debt because they just were interested in so many things. Right. Mm-hmm. We're interested. We've got the Internet. We've got uh, we've all these accesses now to new information. How can we utilize it to like change our world? To the viewpoint of changing the world, I'm going to mm-hmm. go and change the world. Was a very much a millennial view, um, and so I think of like yeah, social network. That's the only movie I can possibly think of right now. But there's probably others. The more I think about it, that help define my generation. Mm-hmm. So Generation Z, even though we're not in that generation, but we work with them. What movie would you say defines that generation? It'd be pretty hard. Seems like it would be a Marvel movie. When I talk to young people, this is uh, this is one of the main. Uh, yeah, this stream of movies is one of the only popular uh, ones that I can think of so far. But. Yeah, so I think it's commercial, mm-hmm. something that's not necessarily uh, original to a certain generation, or something that speaks and says, "Hey, this is what's going on in our world, and this is how we are responding to it." Per yeah. se, and maybe that hasn't happened yet. Maybe that generational movie hasn't been made yet. Right. And so, um, anyways, I always think there's always a movie or a, a musician or a band sure. that define a kind yeah. of a, a generation. Mm-hmm. And so, um, anything else yeah. you want to talk about? All right, um, this has been uh, Empires of the Future, and we'll see you in the future. All right.